from the trails, woods, and waters of the Great Lakes State to the Michigan Talk Network. It's Wild Michigan with your host, Duran Martinez. Welcome to Wild Michigan. Duran Martinez hanging out with you on the first weekend of fall 2022. We are being brought to you by our friends at Not Just Guns, Cedar Street at 127 in Mason. Also, Conquest Sense. The new Thermopads are out. We finally got to talk about these things. They are available only on the Conquest Sense hotline. website and uh, of course they uh, they work with your thermosil unit these are so cool because you can use evercolum you can change it up maybe use vs1 or running buck as the season continues uh and use them with your thermosil unit they're the little wafers that go in uh where your uh, your scent protection normally would go in and uh and oh my gosh finally after all the logistics are worked out, we have them. Thermopads, again, on the website, conquestsense.com. And we are going to go right into uh, a couple of things. One quick thing before I get to Mark Sack. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago, and we broke the story to you back in, I believe, May, about how this year will be the mandatory deer harvest reporting. And this coming right from the DNR website, which is so easy to navigate. Of course, the app is there for you for your smartphone. That is super easy to navigate. And uh, according to the DNR, beginning this year, deer hunters are required to report a successful harvest within 72 hours or before transferring possession of the deer to another person, a processor, or a taxidermist. Uh, Hunters must continue to attach a paper kill tag to a harvested deer. The kill tag should remain with the head if the head and body of the deer are separated. Anyone in possession of a deer tag after the harvest reporting timeline expires should be able to present the confirmation number. So, that again is coming right from the DNR website, michigan.gov slash DNR. Go to the hunting section. It's also simple. The website has has become very easy to navigate, as is the, the the app. You can do your reporting from the app and keep things very simple. It's going to give us all a much more accurate count of, of the harvest this year, okay? They're not really going to be enforcing it too much, but it is, again, mandatory. Next year, I would expect the enforcement to come down a lot heavier. So uh, that's just a friendly reminder from your friends here at Wild Michigan. And we're going to talk to our good friend Mark Sack right now, uh, outdoor writer and all-around good, fun outdoor guy, joining us. And last week, Mark, we wanted to talk to you, but we we both kind of had some stuff going on. Uh, So we got to this week, ahead of the article for Woods and Water News, because I want to talk about upland game bird hunting, uh, in particular uh, grouse and woodcock. Because here we go, we're, we're coming up into those seasons, and we're here on the first weekend of fall. How are you, sir? I am great. It is time for October's Upland Treasures. Oh, my gosh. I love this weather, too, <laughs> by the way. I just First day well, of fall, you got a 50-degree snap. Yes. Yeah, you got to love that. And, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's going to stay this way. So we're not going to see those. I hope we do not see those 87 degree temperatures. Right, right. So, yeah, but yeah, it's, um, you know, it's definitely time to get that dog working because, um, you know, we still have some absolute wonderful hunting around the state for all of our, uh, all of our game birds and, 
very interesting. I am on a Michigan bird Facebook page, and most of it is bird watching. In the last week, I have seen four separate posts of bobwhite quail, too. And, you know, I'm hearing these little rumblings that, you know, there's a few quail around. And it's like, wow, that, that would be the best because I had quail here for years and years and years. And they're just wonderful little birds. You know, we used mm-hmm. to whistle at them and they'd whistle back at us, you know. And, um, you know, we, we really saw with, with the expansion of farming and taking a lot of the CRP fields out and fence rows out, we just saw collapse in the quail population. But that's when it all really started to switch over, too, to more of a grouse and woodcock. And, you know, the woodcock are probably one of the most popular um, upland birds in Michigan now, and they're Mm -hmm. migratory. It doesn't cost you to hunt them. So all you got to do is let them know, and you actually get the woodcock stamp, and they call it a stamp. It's actually just a designation, I believe, on the license now. I just got mine um, here probably 10 days ago, and they don't give you a stamp, uh, you know. But um, anyways, it's um, it's obviously um, one of the things that has filled in very nicely. And let's not forget turkeys as well. I mean, turkeys Absolutely. are... There's a great turkey season in the fall. You can harvest any sex of bird, and it's it's also a really great thing for us bow hunters because you know it seems like every time you you got deer around you, you got turkeys around you in Michigan mm-hmm. now too. So <laughs> you know it's just uh, it's it's just one of those things that sometimes if we don't have opportunities for ringnecks, then you can fill it in with some of these other species that um, are still doing well in Michigan. They are. You know, uh, September 15th opened up the fall turkey season, and it's kind of funny, right around that same time, I now have like five hens on a regular basis in my backyard. <laughs> they're coming yeah. through They're coming through oh, the backyard. Yeah. Then, you know, about, about uh, quarter, to, quarter to eight, they'll show up. They'll come out of roost. About quarter after seven, they'll show up again and go back to bed. Uh, but, you know, they're nice to watch. You know, they, they're, yeah, they're oh, great yeah. to watch in town. You know, but still, yeah. don't think I'm not thinking about turkey season every time I see them. Absolutely. Yeah, I've got one on my trail cam, and, and the crazy thing, it's a real knucklehead, and it comes in, and it's like it's pecking the lens of my camera. So I got this turkey right in the face of the camera, you know, and they are, they're, you know, they're the dumbest bird until you hunt them, and then everything changes, you know. So right. it, it, it truly is great, and it's wonderful you know, to, to get kids going on them too, because I know I've got a nephew that I'd really like to get back and, and get a turkey for him before we really go for the deer, because it's a good step up. You know, it's mm-hmm. it, you you get a turkey nice and close, and they can harvest that, um, and it's not quite the intense excitement of a big deer coming in, or you know, they they can kind of step into it. So it's really a, a very good stepping stone for kids too. Mark Sack joins us here on Wild Michigan. Mark, we always started out small with with small game of rabbit and squirrel. If you really want to get a kid involved in hunting and teach them patience, squirrel hunting in the early part of fall, to me, is absolutely the best way to do it. Oh, it is the best, no question. And, you know, I remember squirrel hunting with my dad, and it's been, geez, I can't even, I don't even want to tell you how long it's been, you know, but... <laughs> It is. It is. It is one of the magical things that we will always remember. 
I remember hunting rabbits with my uncle the very first time. I had a 410. It was a hammer, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and um, I remember missing that rabbit by two feet, and I remember my uncle laughing. <laughs> he was belly laughing so hard, and I remember it to this day, and I was 12 years old, you know. Yeah, it's 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 definitely. I mean, one of my first experiences ever was, you know, rabbit hunting with my dad. I got my first rabbit with my four ten. I got a eight seventy Wingmaster four ten for Christmas one year. Uh, still have that gun. Still looks exact, absolutely brand new, and uh, it, it's just a great small game gun. I think the eight seventy is the best gun that was ever made ever. No, I, mean, I agree. They, they, they will shoot any, they, they will shoot slugs. They will shoot six shot. They will shoot buckshot. <laughs> those, those guns have probably harvested more animals than, than probably any gun. I don't know. I've, I've got one too. And my dad bought it for me when I was young and I treasure that gun. I just took it over to the gun shop here two years ago and had them completely go through it just because, you know, mm-hmm. I, it was working fine. They always work fine, you know, but I just had them go through the whole thing and clean it all up on the inside and make sure everything was good And because I cherish that gun. I truly cherish it. Absolutely, as do I. Uh, we're going to take a break here in just a second. But, uh, Mark, I want to talk about uh, Woodcock because we, according to our good friend Al Stewart, the former Upland Game Bird Specialist here in Michigan, uh, are like the number one spot for Woodcock, and they are a fun, fun little bird to hunt, so we'll talk about that. We're being brought to you by Not Just Guns here, Cedar Street 127 in Mason. Check them out online, notjustguns.com, and get in on their auctions and all the other great items that they have there in that fantastic store with Wild Michigan. You can join us on Facebook or listen to podcasts all from our website at wildmichiganradio.com. Now, back to Duran Martinez and Wild Michigan. Hey, up in the backwoods, down in the holler. Old boy's feeling like a dog on a collar. Keeping that chain full tight. Waiting on Saturday night. Welcome back to Wild Michigan. I'm Duran Martinez. Happy to have you here all over the world via our website, wildmichiganradio.com. Uh, and again, on the Michigan Talk Network, our fine affiliates, keeping you uh, keeping you up to date with what's going on around the world of hunting and fishing and whatever else crosses our way. And joining us on the Conquest Sense hotline is outdoor writer Mark Sack. Mark uh, uh, Woodcock is, um, or snipe you know what i remember as a kid in boy scouts going snipe hunting but how they described them and how woodcock look are two different things <laughs> <laughs> well they're also timber doodles if you remember timber doodle yes absolutely and yes the timber doodle but yes just awesome little birds and really you know you think the way they fly i mean they're they're not super fast flyers like grouse are but they're they're magical the way they can escape it's it's quite interesting to see even great wing shooters can still miss woodcock (laughs) and it's easy to do you know so that 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 makes them the number one challenge right there is that they're not as easy as we all think to hit they're still wonderful their breasts are just absolutely wonderful they're just very similar to grouse as far as eating go we usually breast them out and, and eat them that way they migrate and they start to drop throughout the UP, throughout the northern lower, throughout the mid mid Michigan, and then they hit the southern as they migrate down. You know, so once you see one, 
you will likely see more in the upcoming days before they start to wane, you know, a little bit. And, um, you, you know, I've seen them, believe it or not, it was very interesting. We used to own a dairy farm mm-hmm. and they used to land in the pasture all the time because there was lots to eat out there. Sure. There were bugs, there were worms. And, you know, that long beak that they've got is really made to eat worms. And so it's very interesting because most everybody thinks about woods, um, you know, the deep wood spots where grouse are for woodcock. But, you know, they've got to they've got to move throughout the state and move down. And there's not woods everywhere in the state. So they will land in open fields. And, um, you know, so you'll be surprised by them sometimes. And I've been seeing a lot of them online too um you know folks are really starting to take pictures of them uh this time of year so it's it's very cool to see them they're a cool little bird and um also really great to hunt and you know the dogs love working them because they don't run (laughs) no no they don't run and you know they they're just they're physically not meant for a quick run like a pheasant a pheasant that's a completely different turkey the same way they're very fast on their feet but and they can fly very fast as well but woodcock are so erratic in their pattern you know when you talked about even a good wing shooter missing uh it's like a small little puff ball that just kind of buzzes I don't know, so erratic when they fly. We've been buzzed by them in the in the duck blind before, which I thought was hysterical just before light to have this thing just kind of fluttering around, but you knew what it was. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And usually they'll hold right until you're on top of them. Oh, God. And then they go, and so they always surprise you, you <laughs> know, and unless, of course, you've got a good dog that's holding point on them and you can move up on it. Um, but you know, for the most part, a lot of times you're, you know, you may be rooving around and there may be several woodcock there. And so you almost step on one and then the other one goes up and, you know, it's, it's, it's what makes that hunt so good. Oh yeah. The, the flutter. And, and, you know, the same, the same thing goes with grouse is they, they hold so tight. I mean, when I was elk hunting up in uh, Gaylord, gosh, almost 10 years ago now, um, they, I mean, you know, you get into these ferns that they hide in the fern area and, and and you can't see them because they're camouflaged so well. And when they go up, I mean, your heart jumps about three beats when they fly up. <laughs> and, you know, if you're sm- good enough to get that shot off, then, then good for you. Oh, yeah. You know, and I was up to the UP last year with Dave Rose and, Randy Claremont and Rick Fowler, some some good friends. Randy's a DNR. He's the Lake Huron Basin Coordinator. And you've had Dave on many times. Oh, yeah. Rick's a good outdoor writer from the Northern Lower. And we went to the UP, and I just couldn't believe how Dave Rose was fixing those grouse. Oh, my goodness <laughs> sakes. We had, I mean, I wish we would have had 10 more. The way he cooked them up, believe me. Um, you know, you, and it was very simple recipe. It wasn't, you know, we were camping, you mm-hmm. know, we were just hanging out. So, but, um, they are very, very good eating birds. Very good eating. They are. And, you know, and, um, when let, let's talk about, you know, people that have never uh, hunted for these animals, let's talk real quickly about, uh, what you're shooting with for, for woodcock and, and with grouse. 
I know. Let me well, just say this right now. Don't go dragging your doggone uh, Browning Auto 5 Magnum out there if you're hunting grouse, okay? That's going to be the heaviest damn thing you've ever had with you. Yeah. And I can just tell you right now, I'm a Satori guy. Oh. So I, I, am, I am always using my Browning Satori for that. Although in the past I've used my 870, but for the most part, you're not going to get that many shots off. You're going to get one, maybe two if you're lucky. So that Browning Satori is just a wonderful gun. It's got 28-inch um, um, barrels on it, but it's it's just a wonderful upland gun. And my wife got that for me our sixth wedding anniversary. And I don't know why it was the sixth, but uh, she bought that gun for me then. And we're going to be married for 34 years wow. on October 1st. Good for you. So that's, how long, that's how long I've had that Satori. Did you have anybody show up at your wedding on October 1st? I mean, really? <laughs> <laughs> well, and people ask me that all the time. And you know what? Um, bow hunting wasn't like it is now. And, you know, the interesting thing is every October 1st, she says, I don't care if you go hunting this morning, Mark. I know it's our anniversary. And I say, honey, I, have, I, I got time. I'm going to, we're going to go out and have a great uh, Absolutely. anniversary dinner or whatever we got to do. And um, I got time to hunt. So, Well, dude, that, that's that's fantastic. Congratulations. And, and for those of you who didn't know, uh, on the sixth anniversary, it is gun. <laughs> as is the seventh browning. the eighth the ninth it all depends on the brand but browning i think is the sixth uh satori is if you really really love somebody uh the, a beautiful over and under <laughs> and our friends at not just oh, guns by the good. way do, do love us for that because yes every uh, wedding anniversary should be at least a gun or or accessory uh, therefore and, uh, you know, and for like sweetest day, make a conquest sense like thermopads or something, you know, just something. No that, wonder I love that girl so much. See, it, you know, I mean, <laughs> I've, I've been married uh, six years and, oh, you know what? It, it, she didn't know the rule apparently because mine was in uh, <laughs> September. Mine was this month, my sixth. And uh, apparently she didn't realize gun was the official sixth anniversary, uh, gift she but, does uh, now she does now <laughs> mark sack thank you so much look for his writings and his ramblings and woods and water news uh he's got an upland gamers article coming out mark thank you so much and good luck on your fishing trip this weekend thank you bud you too absolutely gotta talk to dan kimmel bass fall time wild michigan Hi, this is Cuz Strickland with Mossy Oak, and you're listening to Wild Michigan with Duran Martinez. It sits above the mantel on a couple rusty nails, and it's worth a bunch of money, but it damn sure ain't for sale. The good Lord only knows all the stories it could tell. Granddaddy's gone. Welcome back to Wild Michigan. I'm Duran Martinez. Thanks to Mark Sack for joining us in the first uh, couple of segments of the show. Talking a little bit about upland game birds hunting in uh, Michigan. Of course, turkey season is open right now. You can take either a, a hen or a tom. 
Uh, it's, it's pretty open in the fall, but uh, the hunting style is a little bit different. Okay, it's a lot different. Not a lot of calling, just a lot of sitting and waiting. And if you're using a dog, it's even more interesting. But we'll get back into that uh, another time. We're going to talk to Dan Kimmel right now on the Conquest Sense Hotline. Dan, of course, with GreatLakesBass.com. Uh, Dan, here we are, first weekend of fall. And, and and we we bam we started off with a day in the fifties, which air temperature is nice. It's nice and cool. You can get out. You know, you can kind of layer and then take down as your day goes. But that early water temp really isn't doing much of a change. How are you, sir? No, I'm I'm doing great. Uh, yeah, the water still feels warm, and I I'm not out there today. But I'll bet you if I was. The water be a lot warmer than the air, <laughs> and it's going to take a while. It's going to take a while for that um, that water to go down. But there, there's a you know that that photosensitive uh, period where the daylight is getting shorter. The weeds are going to start dying off a little bit uh, and going down, and that's going to trigger the bass as well to say, "Hey, you know what? We're getting into that uh, long, slow period." Uh, of our lives and we better start putting on the feed bag yeah and i think they've started I, I really do even though the water temp is still abnormally warm it's i mean the whole year's been weird the fish have seemed just as confused as me but i've had a lot of really good days i had an excellent day the other day it actually felt to me like fall fishing officially started earlier this week i mean it, it was fall fishing to me for the first time this year man it just now, the, the the approach when when you have that is is it always uh, go bigger than normal? Um, a lot of times, I, and I try that because I too many times I've been catching the same size bass over and over, and I put a bigger lure on, and suddenly there's a bigger bass there. You know, they they travel in sizes, but there's nothing completely true in fishing. Uh, example, the other day, I caught four big bass off of one little tiny weed bed. Um, I caught three right away, and then I came back a little while later and caught one more. One little tiny weed bed, and that usually is because fall fishing. And there was a pool of minnows right above them the whole time. Really? Yeah, yeah, that's how I could spot the weed bed was from the minnows. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, they're going to stick around in cover, and that's where their food is because it's, like, uh, microscopic, and they're eating small stuff. And, of course, the bass are going to eat the smaller fish. But when you present something that's maybe a little bit bigger, they're, they're going to take advantage of that? Yeah, definitely. I, I've been throwing a lot of Ned Riggs this later summer and that happened last couple of years that's a tiny little lure i throw the the trd it's three less than three inches but for these fish i'm throwing the end of a fatty z worm which has a a bigger thicker profile and it has a, a, a kind of a bulbous tail and it vibrates when it falls and i think that really makes the big bass bite you know there's there, there's a lot i mean there's a lot of baits out there uh you know with with that sound beating against the water like that for their lateral line that triggers those fish and uh it, it just really kind of surprises me how that's transferred over into uh the, the the plastics the softer baits yeah yeah i and i i 
I recognize the the catchability with baits that don't do much. But a lot of times I take baits that don't do much and I purposefully make them do something more. Mm -hmm. And it makes sometimes a huge difference. Well, you know, I mean, they're always after. It's always an action, I think, that that triggers them. If they're not going to eat, they're not going to eat. But you can kind of goat them into doing so. To just basically you're pissing them off. Yeah, and and I do that. I this time of year in particular, I'll, I'll cast to the same spot a bunch of times, and it's amazing how all of a sudden you'll catch a big one. Now, was it there the whole time looking at your lure? I I like to think it was, and it just took that long for that fish to finally decide. You know what? I'm going to eat that. <laughs> yeah, you know he's 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 presented himself enough times. He just must want to die, and then wow, the bass is hooked. Yeah, there's nothing that drives you crazier. You hook a little tiny bass, and a gigantic bass follows it in, and then you know you want to catch that gigantic bass. And I believe me, I try hard. I I don't. It takes me a long time to give up on a, a really big fish. Dan Kimmel's our guest here. GreatLakesBass.com uh, is his website on the Conquest Sense Hotline. Um, overall, like it's been, you know, for not only surface, you know, that we've talked about with with white-tailed deer and whatnot, how the weather changes, the, the cold, wet spring, the hot summer, like the quick drought we had back to greening things up again. I mean, we see a lot of it on the top and on the surface, but like you said too, is it really been that weird of a year underneath? I, you know, I've seen stuff that to me look out of season, but I've seen stuff that makes perfect sense. And I think that's just part of it that some creatures just do what they always do, no matter what, whether it's, I don't know if it's a a monolite or what. And then other creatures go kind of out of whack, which just means you have new ways you can probably catch some nice fish. Dan Kimmel's our guest here on Wild Michigan. Dan, you use, uh, you, you see a lot of everything in the bass world, uh, hard baits, soft plastics, things of that nature. What has been your, like, favorite thing this year, something that, that wasn't around last year that you're maybe using this year to, to a better uh, result? Well, I'm not going to lie and, and, and say I don't have about a billion lures upstairs. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm trying not to buy any more new lures. Um, I actually have been doing really good anywhere. It's not real weedy on the old jig worm. It's something I probably picked up from in fishermen decades ago. Uh, it was crazy in Minnesota. They're always like that. And just the jig worm, just that worm with the bulbous tail on a, on a little flat jig head. I've been catching a lot of my big fish that simple way. It's amazing. It is funny how the older stuff, uh, you know, older stuff works. Now, I'm, I'm going to ask you an off-the-wall question because there's a lot of us that probably have these laying around because I see them at yard sales and stuff on occasion. Uh, the color selector. 
Oh, yeah. Do you remember I, those? I, I bought one of those, <laughs> and I found out pretty soon that it always said green, except once in a while it said red. And after a while, why drop it? It's, it's going to probably say green unless it's a little money, muddy and then it says red. That's the only two colors it ever said for me. That's funny. I, I remember those things. I mean, it was huge. Uh, but, you know, anything that came across the TV back in the 80s, uh, what yeah. was big? I mean, look, man, I've talked to Bill Dance and, and Jimmy Houston, those guys, like numerous times. And we always ask him, too, you know, banjo minnow or helicopter lure? Well, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And if it was Roland Martin, he'd say hel- helicopter lure for sure right. since he hawked that. But, but the color selector was actually backed by a really good study that taught me a lot whether the color selector helped me catch more fish or not. The, the study itself taught me a lot about about bass and what they can and can't see. So, I mean, there was there was some good signs behind it. It's just for, for the types of water that you were hitting, those must have been the two main things. Yeah, and the funny part is I... I throw green a lot already because I, it's it's a color that's known not to, to to cause bass to react adversely hardly ever. And then I throw red when I think they're aggressive because my my rule is if red's working, you're going to cream the other guy. If red's not working, you got to take it off right away. It either is really hot or it's dead as a doornail. Well, you know, there's Randy Howell can tell you that that red crawfish worked for him back a few years ago for the Bassmaster Classic because that's what he ended up winning it on. Dan Kimmel's our guest, GreatLakesBass.com. I'm Duran Martinez. We're being brought to you by Not Just Guns. It's Wild Michigan on the Michigan Talk Network. You can send your suggestions, comments, or questions to us here via email at outdoormailbag at gmail.com. Now, back to Wild Michigan. Turn the quiet up. Turn the noise down. Let this old world just spin around. I want to feel it swaying. Welcome back to Wild Michigan. I'm Duran Martinez. I got a little ahead of myself on that one. But uh, thanks, Nathan. For uh, for uh, keeping me on the air here, we appreciate it. And we've got Dan Kimmel on the Conquest Sense Hotline. We are being brought to you by our friends at Not Just Guns, Cedar Street, 127 in Mason. Uh, Dan, you know, when I was uh, doing the Bassmaster Classic uh, at the Expo, uh, Dick Sporting Goods uh, hired me to go down there and be the MC for the for the expo, which was great because I was on their footprint and I got to see firsthand so many different things, so many different lures. But when you look at them, sometimes are, are they? I mean, some of them look are, are really cool looking, very lifelike looking. But then there are some things that really kind of made me question. Uh, you know, do these things work? You know, and and. Do I really want to buy yet another rod to cast one particular lure? Uh, things of that nature. So I'm going to go through a few things that I think were made more for us than for fishing. 
Does that make sense? Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, for the for yes. the fish themselves. Now, Live Target does some fantastic lures, but the one that really kind of confused me was the bait ball. Right, right. <laughs> Do you think a fish is going, man, that looks like a bunch of fish right there? Yeah, I, I think the fish are reacting to the movement of the lure more than what it looks like, unless you're fishing ultra clear water with aggressive fish. Uh, I've had just as much luck with kind of plain lures getting a bite at the last second right at the boat as I have with ultra-realistic lures. I think you just want to match whatever they seem to want right then more than you need to match what looks really cool in the store and you think, wow, i got to have that. Yeah, because the overall shape, I mean, it's still the shape of a shad or, Mm -hmm. or something of that nature, but it just looks like there's a lot of little ones uh, mixed in there. But all, when all is said and done, it's a shape, it's a movement, uh, mm-hmm. and, and that's what, what they're going after. Now, here's the other one that uh, that really kind of confused me because it was really hot at that time was that uh, umbrella rig or the Alabama rig, whatever they want to call it, where you're throwing like 50 lures out at one time. Oh, yeah. That is one of the biggest crazes I've ever seen. It, it was uh, just unbelievable. And for all the tournament groups to come out and start banning it because it's so good. Um, and, I, and I'll tell you, at times, it is so good. Uh, probably the main reason they were banning it is it accidentally snags a lot of fish. Oh, I see. Well, yeah, because they, they come in to bite one and they get snagged in the belly or the side or the gills. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that uh, that doesn't work well for tournaments because it's not an actual hooked fish in the mouth. Yeah, in right? Michigan, you'd have to throw that fish back legally, you know, and that's been a thing when they've come here that they have to be reminded that, you know, don't show on TV that you're putting a three-pounder in a lie while that was hooked under the chin. <laughs> you're right, right. Because <laughs> <laughs> people are going to comment online, you know, hey, that's a legal fish. <laughs> well, exactly. And, man, to me, that thing looked like an absolute beast to throw. I mean, they even had umbrella rig uh, fishing poles. Oh, yeah, because they're throwing great big weight, total weights of several ounces. But I, I'll tell you what, I took three of them to the Amazon River, and for a few days, I was the hero. I mean, I was catching <laughs> model peacock bass, and everybody started thinking I was crazy and ended thinking I was some kind of genius. All I know is I had a blast. Well, th- that is funny, especially something when you're taking uh, an apparatus like that, okay, to a region that is, you know— not as I'm not going to say advanced because that's not a word because those people have been living, <laughs> you know, on a minimum for so long. But when you take right. that kind of technology down there, uh, yeah, they're going to look at you like you got three heads, not less your lure. Yeah. One of the guys literally tried to cut it off when I wasn't looking. <laughs> he was just shaking his head. But that guy, actually, it, he went out and snuck out one night, that guide, and used it and, and then told me the next day how he got three peacock bass at once, and then he realized, oh, I'm not supposed to do that. And I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> you, you know, that's that's crazy because that fish right there, if, you, if you've ever seen a peacock bass, they're a beautiful fish, but they're very, very aggressive. And oh, yeah. they fight, although I've never, I've never caught them. You've caught them. You know how well they fight. Oh, yeah, they're amazing. And I see that they're putting them in Florida, in, in some of the waters down in Florida as well. Yep, yep. Yeah, the butterfly peacock. They actually shocked up a world record out of one of those canals. They wouldn't tell me which canal. 
<laughs> I, I tried to find out. Because <laughs> Dan's going to go down there and find it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, what, what, what's the purpose? I mean, the purpose behind, uh, putting those fish, cause this is a non-native fish is essentially you're introducing, uh, an invasive, well, I wouldn't say invasive, but a non-native species to the waters. Yeah. I mean, the, our DNRs are the biggest invasive species, you know, placers of anybody. But the idea is those canals that have a lot of quality fish and here's a high quality super aggressive, super fun to catch fish that they can put in these under, you know, underutilized canals. And they created a, a fishery with guides and everything down there. Um, like you said, you've never been there. I've only been there twice. I'll probably never get to go again, but I can definitely make it to Florida. Right. Absolutely. And yeah, if you've ever seen these fish, they're, they're a beautiful, beautiful fish. They're very aggressive. They fight like beasts from what I've seen. But oh, uh, do. I'm sure it'd be uh, just an absolute blast to catch. Yeah, I'll tell you, I've been catching largemouth this year. That was one other thing I wanted to mention is I've been catching them this year that think they're peacock bass. I don't know what if that's the weather <laughs> or what, but they're jumping like crazy, and they're fight. They're pulling way harder than their size should have them pulling, which I have no problem with. No, that's, I, you don't want bass fishing to me. Uh, has taken such a back seat over the years because of, you know, I, I started trout fishing and steelhead and walleye, things of that nature. Mm-hmm. But there are still a lot of people that do it. I was up north uh, not that long ago uh, at a garage sale, which, again, this is the other thing that I do is I buy and sell a lot of old vintage stuff. And this guy, Dan, had like uh, like a dozen bass fishing baseball caps, okay? Huh. Yeah. But he was getting rid of like a quarter apiece. Of course I bought them all. All right, right. But I'm like, I'm like, uh, so people still bass fish? I was just kidding. His wife looks at me, rolled her eyes, and looked over, pointed at the brand new boat that they had to go to Kentucky to get. Right. Because they're not finding them up here. Right. A lot of a lot of guys do that. They buy or you know new or slightly used from people because some of the people down there change every year, kind of like some people are with cars. Yeah, no, not so much. And they can get a better deal sometimes. But, yeah, the hats, uh, I've been given a lot of hats over the years because of all my different meetings and events that I've gone to. Mm -hmm. And every now and then I'll wear one and somebody say, why are you wearing that hat? That's a collector's item. I had no idea. (laughs) Oh, buddy, I can tell you right now that some of those old uh, mesh snapback trucker hats uh, Mm -hmm. bring really, really good money. Um, oh, I'm gonna check my closet. <laughs> uh, yeah, if you, if you ever want to get an appraisal on your hat collection, just give your brother a call. I'll be happy to do it. I will do that. <laughs> but uh, no, it's it's just I'm not kidding, man. It's it's funny to see some of that stuff, uh, some of the sporting hats and things of that nature. Um, it, it's all relative, and it all ties in, and it ties into what we're doing here because there is so much of that out there. But uh, yeah. again, man, we we appreciate your expertise, and of course, we we know a lot of those lures uh, are are made for us versus right. the fish. But they do catch fish. Lance Valentine, on the other hand, Mister Walleye, he'll tell you different. <laughs> well, yeah, walleye guys are weird, you know. And I I told I told Lance that I said I know you're a closet bass fisherman. Uh, he actually wants me to take him bass fishing, believe it or not. I tell you what, I would like to be on that boat with you and Lance Valentine. At the same time, that way I could I could check up, put a tick in the box of fishing with Lance, as we celebrate our 16th year next year, Dan. That's how long you and I have been friends on this show. Wow! And uh, yeah, wow. I'm, I'm I'm 
I'm happy about it and sad at the same time because I blinked, and uh, 16 years have gone by that quick. Wow. I, uh, yeah, that doesn't – it seems just a few years. Wow. I know. Right. <laughs> exactly. Sorry to do that to you, buddy. But, uh, yeah, next week will be our 16th anniversary show. Uh, show one, guest one, was Ted Nugent. Uh, and then show two, uh, guest one, was Mark Farner. So, um, who wow. has, you know – Mark has become a very good friend of mine. He's on the road out in California. I still would love to get him back on the show. Would love to get Ted back on the show. And of course, you are welcome at any time yourself, my brother. Well, I love talking bass fishing. Absolutely. And we'll do it. GreatLakesBass.com. Thanks to Dan Kimmel. Joining us here on the Conquest Sense Hotline. Make sure to get your thermo pads now. Use them with your thermocell unit in VS1, also Evercalm or Running Buck. And uh, there's a link on our website, wildmichiganradio.com, and a link also to notjustguns.com. Get your gun ordered, done, set up, ready before November 15th, okay? Just trying to help some friends out. Thanks so much for joining us. More coming your way next on Wild Michigan on the Michigan Talk Network.